welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast where three dungeon masters who've been doing this for <laughs> way too long talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by Tony. Didn't think that I'd come back. I'd come back swinging. You try to break me, but you see what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Stand a little taller. Doesn't mean I'm lonely when I'm alone. Doesn't kill you makes you stronger. <laughs> there we go. Dave, the rock and roll DM was stronger. Who was that again? My girl, Kelly Clarkson. Kelly Clarkson, that's right. I, I was sure that. I was going to marry her at some point years ago. It never happened, but I was sure of it. Would have been quite the feat. I mean, you would have had it to meet been. her. It right? would have been. You didn't tour with her or anything, right? You have gone. No, on, no, I no. I went to not see that her kind live. Of... That was about the extent I went to. <laughs> but Stronger is a great song for tonight, because tonight we are talking about how do you take your villains and your campaigns, your monsters, and scale them up and make them stronger. Because as we've all seen, sometimes you want to run a campaign or use a villain or use a monster against a party that just happened to level their way out of the window. You know, it's one of those common things that kind of goes wrong with your well-laid DM plans. You start out by thinking that this bugbear is going to be a threat to this first level party, but before they catch up to the bugbear, the party's fifth level, and he's really nothing but an ant on the bottom of their shoe. So how do you level him up? This topic actually comes from one of our readers, or one of our listeners, who sent in this question. How do you scale a low-level module big bad up for a higher-level campaign? I'm, relati I'm a relatively new DM, and I'm running Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. I am unsure how to scale Aural for higher-level level and keep her balanced as a big bad. I understand that modules are leveled, but I want to turn it into something longer than a 7th to 8th level campaign. So, uh, you know, this this listener, and they did not give a name, thanks for listening, welcome to the show. So, you know, what do you do when you want to run your, your module and you're worried you're going to level your players out of the window for that module? And I think we can actually make this a little bit bigger because really it comes up everywhere. We've talked about the one goblin that I had to level up. You may be planning to have a dragon as the big bad at the end of your module, only to have your party level out a dragon, at least at that age category dragon's range. Mm -hmm. So, guys, what do you do in this situation? How do you keep your big bads at a high enough level for your part for them to be a challenge to a party that is maybe leveling faster than you intended? Well, you got to figure out what kind of damage your party can soak in a round. That's a very big concern. I remember when we first, like our first 5e game, and in like maybe the second encounter we were in, we got blown out. Because the uh, output of the uh, creatures there just uh, tore us to shreds. And that's at a really rough uh, beginning for the, the rest <laughs> of that campaign. So you have to just get a feel for that. I don't, I don't know. They, they would say CR is kind of uh, negotiable, in my opinion, gentlemen. Yeah, CR definitely, you know, it can be a little hard to scale based on CR alone. So which fight was that? Was that the mana cores or? No, uh, we ran into some wargs with some goblins and mm -hmm. it was a pretty even up battle. Oh, and that you guys did too. Turn south. <laughs> you also find the goblins with the wargs. They're everywhere in the world, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Common, well, common enemy in that Tolkien loves them. <laughs> I'm a DM after Tolkien's own heart. So I guess that's a problem when the big bad is maybe overclocked for the players. But what about when the flip side happens and you're finding your players are ahead of where you think the big bad's going to be? So, like, Dave, you're running Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, so you maybe have some firsthand knowledge of it. Yeah, yeah. We are super, super, super early in it, though. So, And as I was kind of talking to you guys a little bit before this, I am generally kind of only going so far into some of the story 
as the party is. So I've skimmed some of the book, but I haven't gone in and done a real deep dive because it's a big one. And I just I don't I don't want to and I don't have time for that. <laughs> and and I'm I think this is actually a, an interesting experiment in kind of letting the, the letting loose on the campaign even more and really letting them kind of guide it as we talked about but that's neither here nor there but my point was was the way i read this question from new dm was they were looking about a seventh to eighth level that they would be overclocking oral and when i look at oral that's not what i look at at all because She's pretty badass. So spoilers for anybody who wants to run Frostmaiden or is running it, but I'm going to let you know here. So turn off and come back on in the next 30 seconds. Oral is, uh, I think, like Sephiroth, like you guys always talk about with the different forms that you have to battle through. Oral is exactly that. She has three different forms that go up in challenge rating, and you have to defeat every one of them. So you can't just look at the CR of this creature because it's being tripled and quadrupled because of that, because you're in essence fighting three different enemies in one battle, because if the, if she's not destroyed, she comes right back anyway. So that would be my first thought is Frostmaiden specifically is, is clocked for a, up towards of 11th level for a party. Now that's a party of four, right? But it's clocked for that. So when you're in that seventh, eighth, you're still well within the meat of that to be able to play with that, I think. Well, I mean, the letter says they want to go longer than seventh to eighth. So I would read yeah. that as they probably want to be. I would read that as they want to be encountering Oral further up, like maybe level 12, 13, 14, even 15. You know, depending on how long you want that. Maybe they want her to be the campaign, like a big, like a level 20. The big, the big, big level 20 bad. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. The thing is, is with, with something like that, with these types of campaigns, like... They're kind of structured for that kind of play, but you can easily start to enhance some of the abilities of this creature or have additional lieutenants, additional people that uh, she she's a, a lesser deity. So people that she has, uh, you know, taken under her wing, the cult of oral, let's say, or. You know, some of the 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 uh, the nomads that are out in the the lands. So lots of other things can come into play aside from just like Tony will sometimes talk about just that final slugfest between the big bad and the party, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, have you done this before? Have you had any modules where you've leveled up, kind of, kind of had to enhance your big bad? Oh, constantly. Sometimes you get the, you know, the vibe where your guys are really just chewing your opponents apart. You're like, here's an interesting encounter, and that lasted a round and a half. Well, cool, cool. Everybody's high-fiving each other. Everyone's having a good time. But I'm like, all right, so this is going to be a shorter game than I was expecting. I mean, you could change up your lineup. Sometimes that works. Or, dare I say, you just start padding hit points. Mm. So, yeah, I have done this on a few occasions. Like we said, we, there was, and there's a few different ways I know of to do it. In Woodstock Wanderers, we had a situation where I basically had a thing like a goblin, a, a goblin leading this band of, ki of, of kidnappers, human traffickers that the party was chasing after. And by the time the party was catching up to it, that goblin, a goblin didn't really make any more sense. So I turned it into a hobgoblin because, well, one, it had kind of been militant to begin with. And the hobgoblin let me hit a little closer to the CR level the party was looking. Now that's a much lower level version. This was considered this is what i would call a small bad this was supposed to be kind of like a mini boss on the way to the party finding out what was really going on but it was supposed to be the goblin they basically fought when they so the, the party started out 
trying to recover some kidnapped uh, people from the from the town of Woodstock. They were chasing these goblins through this great woods. It took them several sessions. They finally got to the goblin lair. The goblins were clearing out through a secret passage when they got there. They trapped them. They fought this dude, and they put him down and move on. But through that process, the party begins to understand this is something else. I introduced them to a true big bad at the end of the fight, kind of standing across the chasm, was Brother Maynard, who was an anti-paladin. He used to be one of the main characters, Orders of Paladin. So I needed the big that goblin to be tough enough to challenge the party, but it wasn't going to be a big bad. However, I would use the same kind of tactics first and foremost. So Say you have a dragon, as I was saying before, and you're planning for your dragon to be your big bad. Dragons have a built-in level up mechanism. You just move them up to the next stage category. Mm. Yeah, you know, so it makes them kind of perfect for that kind of thing. Because you can plan for the party to encounter an adult dragon at say 10th level, and they get higher level. Okay, so now they're encountering a oh, great worm. You know, they're encountering a higher level age category dragon. So ancient that's dragon. Only yeah, ancient, ancient dragons. Ancient? We don't have great worms anymore? Nothing else exists in the world except ancient dragons. So if you go hunting for them, <laughs> fuck you. Okay. <laughs> That's yes. it. That is. So so the dragon that you thought, it, maybe it had been on the on the edge of a size up, you know? It's just, boom, it was, it was looking big for that size dragon, and now it's a much bigger dragon. In <laughs> fact, I actually did that with a dragon you guys fought. You didn't fight him. You, you avoided him. But there was a dragon in the Feywild that you guys were dealing with. Oh, Bitter Breath. Yeah, Bitter Breath. And I knew you were encountering him right at the top level of his age category, so I intentionally described him as being overly plump and oversized, because my intention had been for that to be someone you guys were going to have to deal with for a bit who was going to have right. you a little a little bit geased for a while under his thumb. So I, I figured you'd gain some levels and then have to fight him again at the next age category up. So I tried to build uh. it into his description. <laughs> so that's one way to do it, is you can just know, okay, what are the higher level things that are still in the same kind of category. Demons are kind of the same way. Devil's kind of the same way. You have higher CR demons and devils. And who, who knows, maybe your devil and your demon got a promotion. You know, so sometimes you can just do that. Now, Oral's not in this category. Oral is a solo. Oral is a unique, like you said, demigod. I don't know Oral that well. Um, Oral's, the, Oral's the one on the front of the cover. So yeah. like it, that gives you everything you need to know about it, right? I mean, she's the one. And to tell you the truth, just to go back to what Tony was saying, what I have, so you, Tony, you said you've done it multiple times where you've overclocked the big bad at the end of a mod or the book. Where I'm sure. dealing with right now, because you can easily do that, right? And for right now, Curse of Strahd, I could look, I could easily Google, and there's 47 different builds for Strahd that'll take them all the way up to like CR 23, right? It's like, it's insane. sure. Right. But here's my thing. He now knows also, Kung Fu. Yeah, yeah, he's also a Kung Fu expert. Um, he has the power of the iron. But here's my my issue, and this might be what New DM is kind of dealing with, too. So you pick up Rhyme of the Frostbane, you pick up Curse of Strahd, and I want to play it the way it's kind of done. I want to see, we talked about this before, you want to see the movie, right? You've heard about the movie, you want to see it. So could I tear it all apart and do my own thing? Yeah. But do I want to? Strahd is who he is. Just because the party is getting super powerful, does that mean that he has to be more powerful? Or is that just the story, though? So I am actually wrestling, and this might be some of the thing with Oral, too, wrestling with, yeah, I could t turn him up, but do I want to? Because I kind of want you guys to face the Strahd that always was in Barovia. You know what I mean? Does that make mm -hmm. sense? 
So it's more of like a moral con quandary, you know. It's ethical. Uh, it's ethical decision making. You don't want it to be the quantum strad. He's whatever level you need. Right, to right. To quantum strad is easy, right? You can do that. But eh, you guys have done a lot to become powerful. So I've definitely under and overclocked things through the mod, depending. Uh, we talked about the the hags and old bone grinder, right? I turned two of them into green hags instead. Mm -hmm. But now the reverse of what we're talking about, right? You kind of cross exactly. it down, right? Yeah, this is turning it all up. You know, all of a sudden they're all anise hags or something, you know, instead. But that's it. Like, so that is, I think, the most basic well, way to, to, to overcome this. Well, th th there's two dangers in there. The first is that I don't want to teach my players that no matter where they wander, they're going to get level appropriate encounters. Yeah. I think that's it's a bad tone, honestly. I, Dave, I appreciate you not handing our ass <laughs> to us there in that encounter, but, uh, you know. It would, uh, but sometimes it gets dicey. I don't want the players to know what to expect. And and then Thorn ran into a problem with a player back in the day where he expected every one of these uh, encounters to be all perfectly calibrated for their character build and their party. And that's that to didn't work point. out. Also, <laughs> that didn't work out. <laughs> but Tony, does this go both yeah, ways? And also, does it go both ways yes. though? So level appropriate. My, my short answer is yes. Both ways, right? Sometimes you clean the clock out of something that would have would have eaten your face two weeks ago well sometimes you can pad an encounter to make it uh, stronger but there's a there's a balance where you could just make the encounter longer and that's not fantastic either there has to be a tension in the encounter if you're going to increase the power the stakes need to be higher and that is where I think the real trick comes in. I mean, you could throw extra hit points at anything. You could throw a couple more guys into the battle and you could kind of drag it out. But if there isn't like the excitement that matches there, I don't think it's a good encounter. Yeah. And I think we're talking about now we are talking about the big bad, though. I mean, that's what the that's what the, this question is asking about. Yeah. Where they yeah. still want oral to be a big bad type of encounter. You know, Dave, you bring up that is an interesting philosophical question. Should you crank up Strahd or should you let the party show off because they've gained all this power and just stomp Strahd into mud? You know, and I think it gets into some other ways you can really clock up a big bed. Uh, I mentioned the one, which is that you can kind of look for a higher level version of that monster. Another thing you can do, and Tony kind of mentioned this, was you can just add more into the encounter. But what Tony mentioned there is, you know, something you got to look out for. You don't want to just stretch out the encounter. You want it to be a fulfilling encounter. So if you just have them hacking through more and more cannon fodder or more and more high level goons or just you just you take the same Strahd and you give them a thousand hit points. So <laughs> they just have to beat on them longer. That doesn't really do it. I think if you're going to. So these other ways to, I think, fix this problem are one add more interesting and high level monsters either to the encounter with Strahd or immediately before it to soak, you know, basically to draw Trump, to soak up the high, to soak up high level spells from the party. So they've got to expend more resources when they're going to deal with him. And you can do that in a few ways, but the trick is you can't let them take a short rest in between, you know, that's, that's real, or, or you can't, you know, you gotta, you gotta limit what they can get back in between if you're going to use that. So that way they get to a Strahd encounter where they're a little weakened and he's fresh. And if Strahd's fighting them in his house, well, that probably should be the way it is because Strahd had control of the battleground. Strahd was able to put things in place and it's Strahd's freaking country. You know, yeah. I mean, it's his land, it's his demiplane. That brings up, so that's one way is to kind of add, 
add not necessarily a lot of henchmen, but add a couple tougher henchmen or a couple tough, interesting, slow, like kind of resource consuming encounters ahead of time. So the party's a little weaker going into Strahd. So they're reaching the very bottom of their bag of tricks. I used this actually with a vampire you guys fought not long ago when you guys fought Lord Hommeldale in the Woodstock Wanderers game. I yes. intentionally drew out a lot of your spells and then had him pop in and start trying to capture you guys while you were dealing with redcaps. Oh, yeah. And then he came in, you guys were mostly out of your spells, and he pulls your one dude away and starts talking to him and starts trying to charm him and get him on his side. And then he bites him, which kind of breaks the charm. But, like, I tried to do that. However, when you got to Lord Hommeldale, you still knocked him out in, like, three rounds. And he did no damage to anyone else in the party, but the party felt like it was a great fight. Everyone told me that was an awesome fight. That's exactly what they wanted to do. So they enjoyed that, even though Hommeldale didn't really pummel them. Yeah, you because know, it kind of gave it, they gave the encounter a little more meat. So that's another way to kind of overclock things is with the build of the overall encounter. So, Tony, two, two points here. One, what I was mainly asking you is... Because it's a good point you make. The idea that you don't just run into level-appropriate things as you walk through the world. The world is not tailored to, oh, this is exactly where the party is, and, and you know the world revolves about them. But what I was saying is, does that go both ways in the sense that they walk into some places that they clean house of really powerful things? Because that's just how it turned out, you know? Or is it that, well, at some point, no, it's always going to be worse than than it's always going to be tougher than you so that's my first question with that does it go both ways i think there's absolutely nothing wrong with having an encounter where the players crush it yeah well not the big bad though you've mentioned that before well and that's what we get into. no absolutely not strahd he shouldn't get smoked yeah so here's my second point to that and this ties in i think to both oral and strahd strahd for a different reason i'll say why so strahd it's the whole i am the ancient i am the land he is the lord of barovia it is his dread demi plane uh, it is also his prison, right? I mean, that is the curse of Strahd, right? Is that he is stuck in this in this Barovia. So, but he has complete control over the thing. So it's not always about, with the big bad, in my opinion, there's always going to be your big slugfest thing. You know, you're going to, the Avengers are going to fight Thanos, right? Whatever. But it's not always just about if you can beat them up. It's about what else is happening. Have people been put in danger? Are there additional minions? Are there uh, traps or puzzles? Are there other things that are that are happening that add to it aside from, okay, let's roll initiative and now we're all going to punch each other? Well, that's or, great, though. I mean, we love that. <laughs> with <laughs> Oral, though, they specifically say, if you, if you look in the book, and I think it's a good point, because the Frostmaiden is a deity she is a lesser god you're not going to with your plus two sword and your level uh, your level 12 go and punch out a god right that type of dnd was back in the day right where you fight all the gods and kill them you can't kill this god so the point of the of the adventure is never to to in essence defeat oral it's to help 10 towns through the long winter it's to find out how you can maybe break the curse it's it's multiple other things, not just let's go beat up somebody. And that kind of goes to our ideas of different types, our triangle of uh, of evil, right? Like different types of villains and what their motivations are. And that changes how your big bad confrontation might go down. Yeah, there, there's some kinds of evil that are just forces of nature. 
you know, or they're the kind of evil that, okay, you kill this person, someone else pops up in their place, the bureaucratic kind of evil. Sometimes you have to figure out how to undo the problem, not just smash someone in the face. Having said that, when it's Strahd in the entire <laughs> demiplane, he's there because of Strahd. I mean, I think I, I think Tony will agree. We're, we're intending to smash his face. We're going to punch him. We're going to punch him. Yes. Just, we're going to do just, thing. Just like we're Belmonts in Castlevania, you know? No doubt, no doubt. Walk up and be, and without without uh, spoiling anything, there are going to be additional things uh, during the final confrontation that will make it, the, it will raise the stakes, let's say, you know, so that that final, con so the tension doesn't necessarily have to come with, oh shit, I don't have enough hit points for these guys to dish out on me but I have a lot of other stuff going on, you know, so yeah. spoilers. Well, I think that uh, I like your one, uh, your point on more adding more interesting creatures into the idea of a Strahd final boss battle, because that's more of his style instead of yeah. just giving him additional superpowers. And you could, I yeah. mean, really, I don't think there's a wrong answer here. You certainly could juice Strahd. If you're looking for that cinematic battle, because we are pretty solid characters now. We're, we're at, if not at our height of our power, we're at the near height of our power. And there's really two ways you can go with that. What Thorne suggested, where you throw in some interesting characters where it's like he's kind of like this evil warlord who's going to throw out all these guys to chew up our spells and, our, and wear us down before we get to him kind of encounter. Or versus uh, he throws some minions at us who normally be here because security forces and he's like, fine, come on, let's do this. It's time. There's no <laughs> wrong answer. I think yeah. either one could be perfectly awesome. And I think Dave could totally come up with like a nice, healthy CR-17 version of Strahd, you know. Oh, um, it's it's no doubt, because one of the main things people do is they talk about how he has access to all of those spell books in the Amber Temple. Yeah. So, uh, like, he could have been studying for the last 300 fucking years. Like, you know, Morton Kanan can eat my ass. Like, this dude's going to roll in with, like, just, like, nine wish spells. Like, good luck, guys. <laughs> I do think you, and I do think you want to do some of that stuff with Strahd. I don't know if you want to roll out wishes. Wishes are tricky. I mean, if you're going to have, I've only ever had, I think I've only ever had a big bad use a wish in an encounter once. Oh, he turned, cool. I think it was Tony or it was another one of our party members into a chicken. I can't remember who exactly he did it. <laughs> he, he's like, it was, well, the, the guy was mad. He was operating the machine of Lum the Mad and the party came in like, no, oh, no, we're going to take you. I would totally remember if I was turned into a chicken. I, yeah, I think it was Jer. I think we did it to the uh, the, the warrior of the party that time. Because they basically burst in and like, ha, what are you doing? And he's like half mad and goes and turns and looks and says, I wish you were a chicken. And the character became a chicken. Oh, and just, just, that you know, could not have gone over well. <laughs> insane wizard. Insane insane wizard throwing out spells he really shouldn't be doing. Uh, it was a fun fight. That was a long time ago. We're talking second edition there. We're talking, this is a uh, old, old, old campaign we played. But so, and I guess that brings us to the third way to really boost the villain, which is to just literally boost the villain. Now, I would be careful. You know, Tony mentioned you don't want to just add hit points because then it just turns into a longer, more boring battle. And absolutely, I agree. In fact, I think if you're going to juice your villain, you want the battle to take as long as it was supposed to take had the party encountered him at that level. So you're not trying to mm. just add hit points to soak a few more rounds of damage. You want to actually build up that, you know, the AC should go up, the to hit should go up, or to hit, the, the, the attack bonuses should go up, the damage they're doing should go up, and their hit points should go up. But you don't want the battle to take longer necessarily. I mean, you don't want them to get wiped off the map in two rounds, but you still want to hit that kind of, I don't know, like five, six round, maybe up to ten round battle since it's 
a big bad, but you don't want to turn it into, hey, he's got a thousand hit points and that's the only reason we're still fighting. You need to juice, you need to bring up everything to be a, a high enough level so that it can hit the party, deal damage to the party, challenge the party with its spells, so you need the spell DC to be higher. And really what you're looking at there is in the DMG, they give you what is the CR level, what is the proficiency bonus, the hit, <laughs> the hit points, the damage per CR level. Yeah. Having said that, I will say, we've said many times at DMG, the 5th edition Dungeon Master's Guide does a lot of good things. This particular chapter is done very poorly. And I'll tell you why. Because you can tell as you're reading it that they want you to just go with raw numbers. That this monster should have this many, you know, that like basically a CR 16 monster should have this many hit points. This is the proficiency bonus. This must damage. And the problem is all of those numbers should be changing based on what kind of monster you have. Like if you have a monster that is that is more like an armored knight, kind of like a tanky kind of monster, they should have a higher armor class, more hit points in physical attacks that do a lot of damage. If you have more of a spellcasting big bad, the spellcasting big bad should probably be a little squishier, a little more evasive, have spells that do amazing things not necessarily direct attacks that do a lot of damage. And the DMG doesn't give you the tools to do this. In fact, if you kind of read on, they talk about hit dice, but they never link how many hit dice a monster of that CR should have, which I found very frustrating. So it's kind of hard to just piece together. But again, what I would do is I would look at, okay, I have this monster at this CR level. Say in the case of uh, Icewind Dale, what you said that Aura was what? Uh, seven, eight, and nine? Her three forms? Uh, nine, 10, 11. Nine, 10, 11. Yeah. Which, as we know, doesn't necessarily mean she can go toe to toe with an eleventh level party. You know, we've definitely no, seen no. you got to jack, you got to jack some some CR when they start getting power. No, the the biggest difference for me is because it's those it's three in succession, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Like the way Tony had it being done with the one uh, the one being that we were fighting in Storm Kings, where they just kept in essence regenerating as now I'm this form. Like fuck you, <laughs> you know that kind of See, thing. Which was pretty cool actually. It the was Sephiroth, very. Cool. The Sephiroth idea is a great idea for once. Once you don't you can't do it. It's also we call it the Sephiroth idea. It's also the Frieza idea from Dragon Ball Z. You know, yeah. but you can't have it happen. Like you can only have so many transformations. Like three's the limit. And you can't have it happen more than once a campaign. You only get to have one quote unquote final form bad guy. You can't have every every big bad they hit doing okay, and here's my fifth form. It gets lame. Yeah, not everyone can be Mumra. Mumra is Mumra. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So what you want to do though, and if you're doing that, by the way, you probably want the middle form to be the CR rating of a high, tough monster they would normally fight. Because the big bad that last form should seem near unstoppable. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, you can go for the whole real Final Fantasy VII trick, which is you then have them fight it one more time, but that's just to show off the new superpower that blows it away. You know, Final Fantasy VII gives you Omni Slash when you finally beat Sephiroth. You think you're dead. It, it's, they take you through three forms. He beats you to death. You've got nothing, nothing left. Like, finally, I beat him. And then all of a sudden, your one dude opens up in a room with just Sephiroth, and they got to fight each other. But your guy immediately gets learns a new limit break and just kills Sephiroth with one hit. It's awesome. It's totally cool. Someone's going to be screaming at us that you just spoiled it because it's getting it's been re remade. It's a 20-year-old <laughs> game. I am not taking any responsibility for that. Thorne, I will say, too, another way uh, that does a similar way in juicing up a monster, and I know you've done it because uh, mm -hmm. you've talked about it many times, and Tony, I'm sure you have as well, but the idea of the pinata, right? Yes. Arm them up with some sweet-ass armor, some cool-ass magic sword, maybe a staff of power. They got a dagger returning. They got all kinds of shit. So if you beat, like, they're powerful as anything, and they have these, and it's 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 within continuity because they have these magical items, which makes sense. 
but then at least you have that added oh I, now we can get that stuff too if and when you can beat the the, the big bad as well of course, you do have to be able to live with the consequences of the of what you put in the pinata. So, so don't put a staff of power out there unless you're ready to deal with the staff of power. You don't don't give the and, and flip side too. Don't give that big bad a vorpal sword unless you're willing to live with killing a character in one hit, possibly. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you got to live with the consequences of your magic item. So be ready for that. Um, but just to get back to the kind of the leveling up idea, the, the charging up idea, you want to pick. I think you want to pick the CR level for the for for what's going to be tough for the party you have. And as we've seen, it's not one to one. So if your party's going to fight Oral at 11th level, I'd probably give Oral, like, each of her forms, like, three more levels, like, three more CR. If the party's 11th level, I'd actually, I'd probably go even higher. I'd probably, if the party's 11th level, I'd probably have them face an Oral that was at least 12, 13, and 14, if not 13, uh, 14. How many people are in the party changes that, right? As we've it talked does. about. You it know, does. you got that four-person party, that, that yeah. might actually be a, a valid, that four-person party, it changes it between that and the six, as we've seen. But I think if you're still talking four people at like 10th or 11th level, I think you're going to need to bring her up for her to be tough. You're going to need to bring her up to at least 9, 10, 11, at least. And the way you want to do that, take a look at the DMG for the stats on how their proficiency bonuses move up, how their damage moves up, how their hit points move up. However, it's not enough alone. So you're going to want to look at the proficiency bonus is great. That's going to be important. It's going to tell you how much you have to move your armor classes and your two hits and your saving throw difficulty. Then you want to take a look at other monsters in the DMG and the monster manual. I'm a big fan of benchmarking. Go look at things that are the right kind of threat. So if you want something big and beefy like a dragon, go look at a dragon stats and kind of match up. Okay, maybe you're going to use the, dra the draconic hit points in AC, if that makes sense for the kind of monster you have. You know, go find other villains that are presenting the type of threat you want to present with this character and steal some of their numbers. Maybe some of their powers. Like, you you, you can, you know, Oral's a, 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 a frost goddess. You can add yeah. some cold powers that maybe you're borrowing some, like, fire powers you get from a pit fiend or something. Mm. And you, you can kind of benchmark around what you want it to do and add some things in to make it tougher. And you're going to need to juice those numbers, all the numbers, to hit. Not just not just hit points, but to hit armor class hit points. Definitely saving throw difficulty. Because you need to score some hits or the battle's going to be boring. And so that, to me, is the big thing. You know, yeah. you got to raise everything, not just that hit points. That, that is a good, that's an easy thing, too, as we talked about with 5e, because of how they have really uh, the bounded accuracy idea but they've really built in so you could literally go to a cr20 and you can see exactly how something works it's the same way that tony was able to break out a stamp of power and recreate these legendary artifacts for storm kings was because the stuff was already balanced in there it was already bounded out it had the this is exactly how it how it works and then you can just flavor it however you want so yeah it's a good point when you have the magical item uh Pinata. You just have to be careful. You don't want your players running around thinking that's what's every or every other encounter. <laughs> you have a pretty hefty character sheet. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not something you use all the time. I mean, after all, regular grunts aren't walking around with magic items, right? If if every ogre gets a magic sword at some point, well, then the magic sword economy is just going to crash, and no one's going to make them. <laughs> the magic right? sword then, economy. Then, you know. <laughs> Then that plus two sword suddenly becomes lame. Actually, in fourth edition, I got booed from my players because I gave someone an ordinary plus four sword with no powers. I'm like, you are supposed to do that in fourth. <laughs> that's a really low tier item comparatively. That's you better off having a plus three sword with powers. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> killing me. God, your attack bonuses must have gotten insane. They must have been pathfinder level. 
they weren't that they were that it wasn't that they were that high it's that a fourth edition your character as as you went up in level you expected to get the magic items with the bonuses for that level and then you expected to get the power set you wanted to optimize your character build gotcha. because it was much more like a deck building game yeah. like, like a deck building minis game so at least some of the players we played with were like hey like okay you gave me a sword that's nice and all but i want the sword to have this power because this is what fits my build so you kind of were stuck at a point of at least some of the players we played with and this doesn't mean everyone felt this way but we had players who felt like you're supposed to give me what i want to optimize my character not necessarily the item you want in the powers i will say the powers were constrained to such an extent that it kind of was built for you to give them what they needed rather right. than what you yeah. wanted to yeah it wasn't really yeah, you you weren't cool by giving you know, fourth edition made sure the DM wasn't cool by giving out cool magic items. Like the magic items were kind of lame and mostly just good in corner cases. Kind of expected. Yeah, yeah, they were they were part of the build. Uh, part, kind of part of the problem with that system. Having said that, people do love the system, and we did play it for a long time. We played it. Long I mean, enough. I don't know who those people are, but I hear them. <laughs> <laughs> well, people who I mean, we do know people who preferred in our group people who preferred you know card games and minis games. People who could prefer people who prefer games with a tighter rule structure and a more mechanical focus build. And a goblin with 120 hit points. Yeah, those were good times. Uh, but, then, but then the goblin came with a bunch of one-hit point goblins, too. You know, so yeah. it was like... I really have a boss be challenging scaling. I think one of my, my... The best recommendations I could do is... I know cinematically it's like, okay, it's time for that slugfest. So the boss comes at one of your tanks and really lays into them hard. Or maybe they miss because they have a high AC. Don't waste your time with that. Throw your AOE attacks out there. Splash mm -hmm. damage across the whole room. Everybody start making con saves or reflex saves and spread the damage around. That will raise your tension. Also, I think a real hallmark of a boss battle is they do something the party can't can't deal with in some way. You know, yeah. maybe that's when the big, big bad uses banishment against the party. Now the party's without their tank for five or six rounds. You know, or maybe that's when the big bad is able to do a teleport trick that drops the tank off the top of a tower. And now your tank has to, one, survive the fall, and two, get back up here somehow. So now the party's got to go. Someone's got to go fly down there and bring him up or something. You know, the big bad should do something that the party just is not ready to deal with and that catches them totally off guard. Like, I think that's that's a hallmark of a real big bad battle. Like, okay, you're in trouble now. You know why? Because you never thought of this. And boom, one of your characters is gone. Like the ruby weapon, right? One of your characters gets swallowed up by the sand. Ah, they're gone. Okay. Yeah, like, because he needed that. But all right. <laughs> I will say that's true, though, because anytime I start throwing out some fireballs onto the battlefield, uh, you guys start to, all of a sudden, like... You start talking amongst yourselves a lot quicker as to what you want to do. So <laughs> I think that that's a valuable, uh, that's a valuable point. Yeah, I'm sorry. You're the DM. You want to waste time? Attack the barbarian. That's just dumb. Don't do it. Go after your other targets. Well, attack the barbarian with pain damage though, because they're not immune to that. They're not. They're not. Uh, they're, they're not resistant to that. Why not use kryptonite? I mean, that, we're getting the, the rare shit here. That is kryptonite. Exactly. <laughs> But that's the thing. Like, I mean, and, and here's another thing. One of the things we're talking about without really saying is this. Your big bad should know what the part know who the party is. Mm. They should have been dealing with them for a while. They should have a good sense of what their powers are and how the party's going to approach the fight. And the big bad should do some specific things that are going to make it harder for the party. That means the big bad should have an idea is, hey, is this party too tough for me now? I've been watching them go up in level because we've been talking about the Strahd game 
Yeah. Where we're like, yeah, Strahd used to buzz in and just beat us up for like for shits and giggles. He doesn't do that anymore. Like we're at the point in the Strahd game where Strahd does, you know, we, we didn't want to meet him in a dark alley. These days he doesn't want to meet us in a dark alley. That's where we are with Strahd. But Strahd his castle. Yeah, Strahd's in his castle. Right, right. Strahd should meet us in his castle, under his plan, doing what he wants us to be doing, pulling all the levers he knows are there that we don't. Like, that's the thing. The, the, the big bad should be able to make plans and do things to counteract the party's strength. And that includes recognizing this party is too tough for me. I need to bring in more help. You know, I think those are all okay. Or, you know, if we really want to kind of break kind of raw here, maybe the big bad has a way to power up. Maybe the big bad has a way to KO Ken with demon power or something. You know, Dragon Ball Z fans out there know the KO Ken. Like, it's like times five or times six power. You know, maybe extremely the big... balanced power, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> One of the greatest powers. And I think any – you don't see that show up much in a role-playing game. I always liked that idea, though. Okay, I, you're going to – I have a character who could do something like that, ironically. Juices, right? Bruce no. Juices did that, didn't they? No, no. He actually drew, was able to boost his energy, and it was uh, it was fun. But yeah, character that balancing be damned. I like I like the idea of a KO, and I've always liked this idea. I've actually worked this in on occasion in custom spells. I like the idea of a character has the ability to go KO Ken, like get you know, in D the way D D scaling works, it's not actually times five, but you add some multipliers to what they do, and maybe they get plus five or something for like five or six turns, and then it runs out and now they crash. You know, unless they can do it again, which, of course, Goku abused mercilessly throughout every episode of Dragon Ball Z from the time he learned it. You know, yeah, you're supposed to be exhausted after KO Ken, but here's another KO Ken because he's Goku. <laughs> and then he replaced that with being Super Saiyan, which was actually far cooler because that wasn't already a broken enough power to begin with. He was taken right to the next level. Well, he could he could still do KO Ken while Super Saiyan, couldn't he? Not until, OK, let me get nerdy not until much later until he had his okay. blue form but okay. screw those humans in his party they're worthless garbage krillin you're your trash uh, you'll never be useful ever again <laughs> greatest line in that entire series is when when frieza looks at vegeta and says you should do what everyone else does wait for goku I think that was Cell, but that's okay. Was that Cell? Uh, I thought it was, was Freeze. I thought it was on Namek. But, you know, these are the things. These are the touchstones of how a boss battle should be, right? And that's what we're talking about, really. We're Frieza, Cell, whatever other major fantasy property you have where you had a big bad who was a huge threat to the party until the party found that one character who was tough enough to take them down or had the potential. This is the kind of encounter you're talking about simulating when you're talking about boosting a big bad, because cell games never happens if cell isn't strong enough to beat everyone else up. You know, that's, you, so you need to keep your big bad strong enough to beat everybody up, even if you do some tricks like, well, obviously like happened in the cell games, if you rewatch Dragon Ball Z, which is that, you know, uh, Vegeta basically let him get powerful instead of taking him out when he should have. So... Sorry, more, more spoilers. But I think it's important with that because, like, this is what we're talking about. Because we're talking about, like, uh, if it's your own campaign world, if it's a homebrew thing, then it doesn't matter because there's no scaling. There's just whatever encounters you've built at the end, right? There's no, you know, you're the completely the, the lord of your domain. But if we're talking about published material, right, we're talking yeah. about something like Icewind Dale or Curse of Strahd or whatever – that's where I think that that the the ethical dilemma, right? I feel like cheating in the good place, right? I'm gonna have to start doing like platonic things, but that's where it comes in is you have to know 
and this goes back to some of our session zero stuff, you have to know where your players are at, if they are open to that idea, or if they would feel like, well, now you're just now you're just fucking around because we did all this stuff, we became powerful, and now you, no matter how powerful we get, that guy's always more powerful. So, you know, reading your table and understanding your players so that they don't just feel like, well, dude, what the hell? Like the Quantum Ogre thing, you know, yeah. as we yeah. saw with our Quantum Ogre discussion, that can really trigger some people, um, you know, and not in, a, not in, in the good way. So no, that's true. That's true. A lot of players who read the quantum ogre discussion did not appreciate the idea that whether you go left or right, you're going to meet the same ogre. And yeah. it is, yeah, you know, some some players, and maybe even from a DM point of view, maybe you want to feel like your world is built out more than that, where I have different things left and right. So that's that's totally fair. Yeah. So I think some of the best conversations I've had is when people said, "What if I had gone down there? What would have happened?" I'm like, "Well, yeah, I did have something." And the truth <laughs> is, I've completely burned good material, which may get recycled into another game later. Yeah, I'm going to say recycling material is not the same as quantum ogring. I mean, because it's like, okay, if that thing that was supposed to be there and we didn't encounter it, but I like the design, I'm going to put it over here instead. I have, yeah, you got to do it. That's from time, it's it's time stupid not to do it. Yeah, 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 that's different than the quantum. As we discussed, that's different than quantum. But the, the idea of the big bad, if they are where they are and who they are. I think there's there's only so many levers you can start to pull on that before you're just it's it's an interesting discussion that we're having here, right? This it's the idea of this is the villain and I, you know it's it's tough. It's so tough. I have a little input on that. So, if your party has encountered the villain a lot and they know exactly how strong the villain is, you're right, you could have a problem with that. However, in Curse of Strahd, we have fought Strahd, I think, three times. Fought him twice and encountered him three times, I believe. Yeah. Because the one time we ran it, we ran into a church and you know, we just screwed with his head. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we have not met Strahd so many times that if he came out tougher than us, I would know. Like, I would not have a feel for that from the game we're playing. So from that point of view, in that particular module, in this particular game, I don't think anyone in the party has seen enough Strahd where we feel like we know where he is. We kind of, we're, we're joking around, we have a feeling, but if Strahd shows up and he's stronger, I don't think anyone's going to cry foul at that because you haven't overused him. Like, if he was showing up every other Tuesday and just beating us up for no good reason, we'd maybe get a feel for how much closer are we to kicking his ass. We haven't done that, you know? Yeah. Oh, we could totally take him now. I mean, that left hook we got, that'll do it. But yeah, we, we, no, yeah. I get what you're saying. That's a, that is a good point, too. But it brings up another point I wanted to talk about, which is, uh, well, actually, first, Tony, do you agree with me? Like, if, if Strahd showed up more powerful, would you have a feeling that he was boosted, or would you, would that be fine with you? I feel like the, the, the villain's got to have a degree of mystery to mm -hmm. them, and we're working off a vast amount of assumptions. Like, well, Strahd should be around this powerful, and yeah. you feel that way based on what in the game that's not meta. Well, what you know, we feel that way because we fought several vampires. That's really why we feel that way. Which is not right. which is not a good reason. Like we are overconfident based on past experience yeah. that we shouldn't we haven't earned. And in Dave's game, what we fought a bunch of fledgling vampires. We've certainly well, you did, did fight, we fight a master. We fought two real vampires. Okay, we fought Charlie a Manx. Christmas vampire. All right, and um, there was one more. No, the the bride that you came upon who was doing the experiments at the Selenka Pass on the Werewolf. She was uh, she was like a vampire bride, but it's kind of like a little bit of a juiced vampire spawn. 
okay. the end. Like she's not why she's not like vampire lord level. Okay. Know? And that's why you guys just fucking aced her hard. Like hard, like so hard. <laughs> well, my point is we did not fight a air quotes master vampire in this campaign, and certainly not the master vampire. So it would stand the reason we were like, well, you know, based on that last battle we had with you when we were level four, what you were holding back, you know, like, yeah, that shouldn't surprise anybody. Yeah. We don't have enough data to make these conclusions in any way that would should hold back what you're doing. The second thing I'd say, if we show, if we ride up on Strahd and Strahd sitting on his nightmare and his nightmare is like wearing like shiny black barding and he's wearing like shiny red flecked fiery fiery armor right. Right. and like as he as he shows up the dragon he, armor yeah and like <laughs> as he as we show up he breaks a vial in his hand and all of a sudden suffused with blue energy. Well, there you go. There's your CR20 Strahd, right? I mean, he's just like, oh, good, you're here. I can stop holding back. Pop. And, yeah, I think there's a lot of ways you can do that with a big bad, like Strahd. It's maybe different with Oral, because Oral is a god, and gods don't generally have to put on armor to show off their stuff, or a demigod, or however you want to say it. Yeah. Um, but I think, unless they're fighting Oral all the time, I think you're still probably good. You know, it's just a matter of, you're only going to run into a problem with that if you don't constrain yourself with the big bad to begin with. You know, if the big bad's showing up so often, they're not big bad anymore. They're just, you know, you don't want to be Spike. You know, Spike was, was still considered a villain, but he showed up so often he became just a softy. You don't want that for your big bad. Just a henchman. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, so this does bring me, though, Dave, what you're saying here brings me another question I had, which is, you know, if you're running a pre-made adventure, is it worth it to scale it up? Or do you feel like that's wasted effort? Would you say, if you're running this adventure, you should fit your characters into it. And if your characters are off this adventure, you should go get an adventure that fits that. Like, do you feel like this is just wasted energy or ruining the book mod? It's a great question because it's kind of what we what we were talking about. And it was my my point in running Strahd. I really wanted to try to – and I've already – I have definitely veered off at certain points. <laughs> uh, I mean I literally put in the fucking werewolf guy is has a Romani name for Savage Macho Man. So, I mean, like I'm, I'm veering off of script at times, right? I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. We just pulled that DMing. We just call that being a DM. I, I, don't, I don't see what's wrong with this. Yeah, no, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing. But I did, for the very reason we talked about, and you made the point, the one episode, which I thought was a great one. It's like these classic movies. You want to see that movie because everyone's talked about it. Everyone talks about something like Curse of Strahd. So I wanted to see how it really played, you know. So I, I tried to stay as much as possible. So going forward... Would I change things? I absolutely could. I did change stuff in Strahd, but I was trying to stay as close to form as I could to really see how it played out. Um, but uh, I think that any of the published stuff that, like, for instance, Watsi has put out, any of their adventure paths are already scaled for generally that type of level of character, usually first to tenth level, give or take. And then at that point, you can go out and do whatever you want to do. So I don't really think you have that much problem with having to to juice up or overclock things. If anything, with Frostmaiden, right in the very beginning, you have a possibility about 10 times over to TPK the party every fucking time. <laughs> I mean, there, there's like it's just full of red caps in chapter one. Like the whole fucking thing is red cap incidents, except like one one fucking expedition is not. And I, I'm just like, holy shit, like you're going to kill these people. So I hear what you're saying, but I think the question is less a matter of 
okay, there's chances to go above the party, but the problem that happens, and it happened both in Storm King's Thunder and Curse of Strahd, yeah. is that as the players go through and explore, especially if they explore a lot, like we did with Storm King's Thunder, I mean, Tony took us everywhere. They get more powerful than the module intended, like just through natural progression and growth. They wind up over the scale of the module. So, like, do you feel like it's worth scaling up your big bad then, or do you feel like you were better off just playing by the book and not not letting them get out of hand? That's a, okay. I, I I see what you're saying. That's a a very good question, and I think what it really comes down to is one the CR system being what it is. So when they're scaling these things, it is a suggestion, especially at the higher levels. Once you get eighth level and beyond, it's a suggestion. But it does change one, how, and I say this, how big is the party? You put a party of four or three into one of these adventures and you're probably going to have to stop yourself from killing them at several points like just outright tpk not even fair right but if you have a party of six well that changes it dramatically now let's put six with experienced players who know how to play who know some of the mechanics and how you can optimize some of that that's also going to wildly sway if i had for instance and this is nothing against our cleric in curse of strahd but if i had beth and i had five of her playing, right? Curse of Strahd would have ran a lot differently, right? Because certain things would have been missed in terms of character build, let's say, or spells or or, or uh, attributes that are available or class abilities, right? It might have gone because there's so much information. And if you're a little newer to the system, some of that can get lost. And then then you're not mopping the floor with all these people, right? What if we're running Curse of Strahd and I put the Sun Sword? I just said, you know what? Fuck the Taraka deck. The Sun Sword is going in Castle Ravenloft. So good luck going to get it in the crypts, right? And the, I'm many pretty people sure that's where it originally that. was in canon. Right? Because kind of I feels like it should be. Because yeah. the Sun Sword really does turn the entire module on its head. It, and, and so. I like that I I did a random Taraka reading. I did it prior to the module, so I already knew what ones she was going to pull, but I did do it randomly. I took the what it said, because I said, okay, I like this mechanic. It's kind of fun. Let's play with it. But yes, the party did, once they found the Taraka deck, say, wait, wasn't that where we just passed 100 yards back? Yeah, let's go get it. Okay, dig it up. Sun Sword, we're level three. Okay, vampires are no longer a fucking problem. The most powerful weapon in the entire demiplane was buried at a random crossroad. So you see, you you did the fun, you did the fun random thing, and you got the result of why random. You you got like the full downside of random. It was right? the, I like random yes. too, but like that's kind of like okay, why is this sword here? Why, why is this control randomness? Control yeah, randomness. why is this great hero buried at this random crossroads under a creepy you know, crow's nest? What the it's hell? Like Tony, it's like when you had the random encounter table at one time, and it's just like four fucking fire giants running through the forest or something, and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> They're level two. And I'm level six. Here yeah, comes level. the pain. <laughs> well, face well, stomping it is. So control well, randomness. Yes. <laughs> That's a touchy thing because then you you have this awesome magical item you want to showcase and you're like, hey, I mean, what if Dave had just rolled this out like last game? Honestly, it wouldn't be all that awesome now. 
it'd be cool. It's different. Yeah. Yeah, it would yeah. still be pretty awesome. I mean, it'd be better than any other magic item we have. So comparatively, it would be awesome. Oh, you guys got some pretty cool magic items. <laughs> that's true. That's true. We, we, you did. You did do the. You did do the whole. The whole Tony route of giving us each our own custom magic the, item. The Christmas game. The Christmas yeah. game got me. It got me. But yeah, no, Tony, that is a good point. Like, yeah, I could put the Sun Sword into the crypts of Castle Ravenloft, and then cool. It's the end of the fucking adventure, and you find the sun sword. That would have come in handy. You know what? If like, it's a tighter, if it's a tighter module, though, it works. Like if we had done this over, we've done this over like a year. If we had done this in like you know like three months or like kind of like five or six sessions, it'd be perfect. You get it on the last session, you go up, you kill Strahd with your sun sword. But for the length of the length of campaign we've had, you had to put cooler stuff in before now. Right. Now I am a fan of those magical rewards, as you may be well aware. <laughs> That, that keeps the ball rolling nicely. So, so just to just to, to 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 get the yes or no answer to my question. So, is it worth scaling up pre-made <laughs> adventures, or Dave, do you think you're better off? Do you think you should, it's a waste of time or ruins the adventure, and you should just buy the right adventure for your level? You have asked me three times, and I still have not answered the fucking question. This is a reporter in me. I'm breaking out the hammer and nails. All right, I'm gonna keep you here. No, I think the ground until you answer. I, no, I think that the adventures as they are. Uh, offer enough if it's the right adventure if it's something that you want to run uh, I think they offer plenty without you having to really do much of anything but if you wanted to you absolutely could but there's a lot in there in terms of just to have a lot of fun with a lot of with a whole campaign a whole first part of that character's arc you could have with these um so no I think they're absolutely you can play them as is and and have a lot of fun, and also kill a lot of players, and you know, and all that. Like that's you, fun too. That's where the real fun in DMing is. Let's not get off track here, right? As I've said, if I ran the Death House exactly the way they had it running at the end, I would probably would have killed every single one of you. Yes, uh, definitely. At level two, if I ran the Hags all as Night Hags at that point, would you have? I mean. I'm you so guys curious. might have taken them, but I don't know. They're they're pretty tough. Also, if I had remembered that they cannot be charmed, so suggestion would not have worked on them. But that was a really cool part. So again, happy accidents, right? So it created a whole story arc of the hags that when you finally killed them, it fucking mattered. Because, like, let's kill these motherfuckers already. Jesus. They're making the world, they're increasing world suck. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. Some of our best stories, and I think any DM listening should take this to heart. Some of our best stories come off of the times we made the stupidest DM mistakes. Yeah. Like some of the coolest campaign turns turned exactly because we didn't know what the proper ruling was, or we overlooked something in a, in a, in a monster, in a monster stat sheet and we screwed up, but it turned out cool. And those are the big stories. Like, yeah. so yeah, if you're making mistakes, just roll with them because a lot of times that leads to your best, you know, some of your best encounters. So, so Tony, my final answer, answer is yes. Yeah. So your your final answer is you can change them, but you kind of sound like you're saying, why would you want to? You're better off. Yeah. You're probably better off with taking characters that are that level or making new characters that are that level and play the module as it's written. That's that's what you'd like to say. Like that's probably. Oh the best. yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, no reason to be running level sixteen characters through you know fucking tyranny of dragons or something, whatever. So, yeah. So Tony, I'm sure you totally agree that you should never take these book modules <laughs> and highly opt and highly oh. rewrite them to fit your characters. It's scandalous. You never, ever <laughs> change book material. I mean, I actually looking back, I think I only changed maybe 11% of Storm King's Thunder. 
I'm no, pretty sure pra- in, in the in the session wrap up, I'm pretty sure we we came up with 85 percent as your final change percentage. Dude, he was up in the 90s. He was in the 90s. <laughs> there was a storm king in that story. I mean, these I numbers, Tony. These fucking numbers. It's like when Peter Griffin is negotiating. It's just yeah. We, we have one tape. You can go back and check the and check the uh, you can go back and check the Storm King Slender player in DM reviews. There's two episodes of it. You can hear him yourself. Yeah, no. Um, I wanted to set a different kind of tone for that game. Uh, I I like the super heroic feel. And what in Ravenloft, if you wanted to keep it tight in terms of magic and encounters, where you know it's interesting. I remember when my when my the most infamous encounter is that time when Cassidus went to confront the uh, the one sage who and his friend, and we're like, all right, we're gonna take this guy down, and he beat us within an inch of our lives. That was an extremely memorable encounter. Not that I'm saying Dave, please beat us within an inch of our lives, but the point is that because it was unexpected. And I think unexpected things are a fantastic element that continuously introduce in the game when needed. Not that you're always whipping a gotcha moment out there. Well, I will tell. So uh, since we, I, it, this is kind of the point of the podcast. We we lay all our cards on the table, right? There's no secrets here. So just for the audience at home, what's really been happening with Strahd? So since the players have now are they're going to be leaving the Amber Temple, he's actually going to be going to the Amber Temple. And he's going to take the dark gift of becoming a lich from the one vault. So he's going <laughs> to be a vampire lich. And that's what we're going to. So I'm going to take the lich stat block and the vampire lore. I'm going to mash them together. And then I'm going to throw it right in their fucking face. <laughs> well, my, my, my hypothesis was he was going to do a dark fusion with Aslan the lich. And we'd be facing their combined power. Because I thought that dude, was you with this Aslan. Like, like, you got to let go of some of the old Ravenloft stuff, dude. <laughs> He's not, his name. He's not here. His name's Nick now. That's much cooler. <laughs> <laughs> I can just imagine. I can just imagine Strahd and the Lich doing a Dragon Ball Z style fusion dance. They just put on the earring. They tap their feet back and forth. Yeah. You know? it's the, he becomes the Captain Planet of Big Bands. Just <laughs> the five forms. It just so. I feel like Funimation should like be sending his royalty for like constantly plugging their material. <laughs> I think it's clear where our influences lie. And as much as we said they were like Tolkien and shit like that, when it comes to this, isn't it just all anime? I mean, really. <laughs> it's anime in, in comic books. It's a lot of it. We, we, we are so much more pop culture than we make ourselves out to be. You know, oh yeah, we've read all the Tolkien and the Dune well, and stuff. When push comes to shove, it's, it's Goku versus Frieza, right? Yeah. I talk about how I read Edgar Allan Poe for my character concepts, and it's really just me watching the one fucking Scooby-Doo episode with Vincent <laughs> Price. <laughs> and then you throw in some Last Airbender in there, and it comes together in this great mystical. Then, exactly. I mean, the point is to connect with your players, not necessarily to be, you know, doing something that you can submit for a literature thesis. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, Tony, just so, so in your opinion, if you're going to run a book module, should it be, is it worth it to scale it up if your players are higher level or should you kind of keep your, your players, your, your characters in the right realm for it? It again, depends on my room. If that's what they're really looking for, they're looking for this crunchy grinding. We're going to go through this and fight room to room. Then I'll leave it alone. But if we're doing something a little more fast paced and higher end, and maybe I want to take it on for longer and do more than what the module intended, then, you know, uh, all bets are off. 
Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, the tension is this, right? You see a module that has a cool story you want to play through. But your characters, your players, have characters that are attached to at a certain level. This doesn't go for us. We have a bunch of, every time we start a new campaign, we make new characters. But I know a lot of people, even mm. in Woodstock Wanderers, we've talked about this. Those players want to play those characters. And if we were to start a new campaign, I think they'd want to play those characters. Some of the players, I think, would still rather play those characters. So you have friends who, who who are playing characters they love and they want to play through whatever's going on next. And you want to fit a module in who maybe doesn't fit their level. You're like, you want to do, you want to do Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, but your characters are already at like level six or seven. So by the time they meet Oral, they're going to be like level 13, 14. This is where you kind of have to figure out how do you want to do it? Do you yeah. want to get a module that fits them, or do you want to upscale the story you want to tell and make it fit their characters? No. And I yeah. think you could do both. You, you do could. both? You, you could. could both. You could, but even better. Even better, I think, if you want to... So I'm I'm getting a better sense of what you're saying now, Thorne. So, it's only taking like, me three tries to express okay. myself but, here. Jesus. But getting the Woodstock, like taking Woodstock, for instance, where we are now level 12, because uh, we just hopscotch right over level 11. Um, generous. Don't make me regret it. I know. Don't, uh, don't mistake my kindness for weakness. <laughs> it's not vulnerability. But let's say, you know, Tom wanted to really just bring Sir Morton along and we wanted to play something else. I don't think you should go through the trouble of trying to, to scale because these are built off chapters that are meant to bring the characters up these levels through the tiers up yeah. until that middle tier stuff. But a lot of these books, um, Storm Kings is one, for instance, Icewind Dale is absolutely uh, Van Richten's guide. Use them as campaign settings. Use them as fodder. Put those things into your homebrew world and build it out from there the way you would build your own campaign. Use these things as a campaign. Like Storm Kings, Tony, you said it. It's half the things a campaign setting book and then half the adventure. Because it's so massive, right? How is Van Richten's anyway? Like, I heard that Van Richten's was set up where, like, it doesn't have a whole lot of actual stats in it. Like, everything's just an idea you got to fill in. Van Richten's is exactly what I was just saying. It's only that. Here are lots of ideas. Go play. But we're not going to – we're not going to build out – which – I wish I would. There are some stat block things for some really crazy monsters. You would like it because there's these crazy ass star spawn emissaries, uh, like CR 21. So there are some monsters in this. There are the actual adventures are sad enough. Like the big bads or the 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 dark lords of these domains. They're kind of left to what do you want to do with them? But they build out the different domains. Hmm. See, this reminds me of the Feywild and the Shadowfell books they put out for fourth edition, which were entirely lore focused yeah. with no stats. And I got to tell you, I generally hate that because I'm like, to me, I'm like, you I can generate stats. ideas. You need stats. I feel like if you're not giving me stats, you just give me more work. <laughs> right. Like if I got to stat your, if I got to stat your shit, you're just passing the buck to me. Why am I paying you 60 bucks for this book? But I haven't seen it. I haven't looked at it and it sounds like it does have some cool monsters in it. So take that with a grain of salt. Van Richten's it, may still be it, great. It has cool it, monsters. It has cool domains. It has, it has a lot of stuff. It has a cool uh, starter adventure, the house of lament. Okay. So yeah, there's, there's definitely stuff in there that, that is uh, cool, but yeah, they do not stat out all of the different dark Lords and all of that. Hmm. Yeah, I've been very on the fence about it. I mean, well, obviously it's not my it's not my world. So obviously this is this is you know your your campaign world. So I'll, I'll walk into it with you DMing if I go into it. But when I read it, when I first read it, that was my first reaction was great. So I'm buying homework. 
I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm paying. I don't see why I'm paying sixty bucks to you for me to fill in the blanks on your creatures. Like I didn't mean to buy D and D Mad Libs. Like I could. I could come up with stories. I need. I need more stuff you stack out. <laughs> That's the work you can save me, Watsy. It's one of. The, yeah, I think they tried a different tact on this one just to see. So. But mm. I think it overall, it it has That's... some cool stuff in it though. But the Star Spawn emissaries are pretty. Uh, pretty awesome. I might need to dig those up and put them in yeah, something. Cool. Yeah, there's definitely room for them in Woodstock Wanderers. Remind me next time you're over, I'll bring it down and show you. They, they, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're some baller. They're like some like end of the campaign level uh, stats. Yeah. Maybe they're in league with the Malbion. Yeah, yeah, they they might might kill the Malbion, dude. Oh my god. All right, guys. So we've been going on for a little bit here. How about we get to some final thoughts? What are your final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? If you're going to you're going to take this step and you're going to scale up the monster, then you want to have a campaign final battle or really any of your battles. You don't want to just have something that's long and it's happening. Uh, hmm. You want to have a degree of tension in your battle. You want to try to I mean, I know every scene is not going to be memorable, but especially if it's like a key boss scene, it certainly should be. I mean, looking back upon a game. I could tell you some of the key boss battles I fought in in a fourth edition campaign from, you know, a decade ago. If they were that good, if there was really something that was really happening that was out of the ordinary, that's what you kind of want to strive for. Um, I would certainly push the players in that last battle. I'd throw a lot of, a lot of AOE around and bring it to the wire. Yeah. Yeah, you can absolutely. So uh, obviously Thorin should be working for like the Daily Planet or the Daily Bugle or something because he's had to hound for the story here. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I said now that I uh, finally hopefully answered it. Um, but yeah, I when you're using published stuff, because that's kind of where this began with with the Frost Maiden. The first thing I would do is make sure you understand that not everything is always I have to go in and beat something up. And with Frostmaiden, it is kind of specifically that there are larger things at play, larger machinations that that go beyond just, I got to find this thing and beat it up and end the curse. Mm. So that can add some tension without having to necessarily think about, okay, how do I juice this step? Are you saying that's not a compelling storyline? We just have to go find the bad guy, beat them and up, beat. and end this? <laughs> it's a fine story. I have no problem with that storyline whatsoever. I mean, You're trashing my best work. Over. But, <laughs> but yeah. But I'm just saying there are additional things. Obviously, I talked a little bit about the ethical dilemma of you have this adventure you're running and do you juice that big bad at the end or not? Or do you have do you play around to try to get that tension build final confrontation with what's there in the world? Um, that's for, for you guys to decide if you want to. So let's see for my final thoughts. You know, we talk a lot. We've, we've had episodes about how players shouldn't metagame. I think we start looking at, you know, scaling up encounters, scaling up campaigns. I think the advice is the exact opposite for DMs. If you're going to be a good DM, you're going to be a great DM, you need to metagame. Metagaming is the cornerstone of how you can judge, is this monster tough enough or too tough for the party I'm playing with? And what I mean by metagaming is having a sense, the benchmarking ideas we keep talking about, you should have a sense of what other monsters that challenge the party do and in the level they're at and the CR rating they're at and what kinds of numbers they have and what kinds of things the party has a hard time with. So you can adjust things to be challenging. And at the same time, 
sometimes make sure that the party isn't getting hit in a weak spot and other times make sure they are, you know, so you can turn those kind of, kind of adjust those dials. And that is all metagame knowledge. So as a DM, you know, really what happens when I have a bad, when I have a big bad and it's not, and, and I'm getting, and I'm, I'm watching the players play up to it. So I'm seeing how are they progressing and fights coming up to it over those adventures. I'm getting a sense for, is that big bad I had in mind good enough or is it going to get, or is it just going to get destroyed in two turns? Or is it going to be anticlimactic, climactic? So I build that not necessarily based on on solid numbers. I don't have a formula in mind. I'm watching the party engage with other things, and that understanding is letting me understand. Okay, so the party pretty easily hits an AC twenty. So if I want this thing to be tough to hit, it's got to be a twenty two or maybe a twenty four. And if that's over the limit, I don't care. I just don't care. It's going to be whatever I want it to be. Yeah, you get a sense for, okay, these things have something with 100 hit points dies about this quickly to the party, something with 150 dies about that quickly. I want to set this big bad. He's going to see them in a couple levels, maybe at 200 or whatever. Because you get a sense for how quickly do they deal damage. So how quickly is your big bad guy going to fall? You get a sense for what the party can save against. Like if you have a big bad who has saving throw abilities, you can start getting a sense for, well, the party hits the party hits a saving throw a 20 pretty easy or an 18 pretty easy. So I need to be a little higher, or a little lower. You can also of course optimize as far as what are you targeting, which is the other thing, but that's, that's less about benchmarking. It's more about, okay, picking the thing they can or cannot defend against. But that meta knowledge of kind of just watching your party play, seeing how they handle encounters, seeing what are they hitting? What are they not hitting? What gives them a problem? What do they have a hard time saving against? You need to kind of keep that running meta knowledge going as you DM. And then when you start looking at your big bad, I do think you optimize it based on that because you can't have a lame fight in the end. And you kind of can. And it's not a big deal if the party comes in and they're just so badass that someone crits something. I'm never going to stop a crit from one-shotting a big bad because, frankly, if the paladin walks up, rolls that natural 20, and dumps nine levels of divine smite into the bad guy (laughs) and it explodes in, in, in holy radiance... All right, that's the story. You know, man, you stick with that. But other than that, like, you know, you want to kind of have a feel for how's this fight going to go, assuming something ridiculous doesn't happen. And that's all meta knowledge. So more than anything else, I'd say just build your meta knowledge of your party and your monsters and what are good benchmarks for the level, the toughness you want to have. Use that to inform where you're going to have your big bad at. And, you know, just adjust it as you have to because it's not a video game. You know, the party should be challenged. They shouldn't necessarily just roll over what they are because they spent more time level grinding. You know, it's not Final Fantasy. They can't just go kill a thousand Marlboros to get a bunch of levels and just come back and kill the thing on just quality of level they made. I think you need it to be tougher than cigarettes. Oh, am I saying that wrong? Are they Marlboros, the uh, the, the giant plant monsters? I, I I think that may be right. That they live in the same forest with the like likes from Zelda. <laughs> All right, guys, this is a good conversation. I think hopefully we have scaled up to be a level-appropriate encounter for our listeners. Oh, and hopefully we answered some question for a new DM. Hopefully you can get something out of that hodgepodge. Of I think we covered very, a lot of ways to scale up. I don't know. What absolutely. do you think, honey? Think we get absolutely. it? I think we nailed it. So I'm biased, guys. though. <laughs> and I just so, don't want you to have an anticlimactic boss fight, because that's certainly not what any DM ever aspires to. No. All right, no. level 30 Boy. fraud. CR thirty strong. You're like, man, that that was a great campaign, but that boss fight sucked. Is that really what you want? That to be the death, like the final notes in your game? Is Strahd driving an M one A one Abrams? What the hell is that thing? He's really upgraded his horse. (laughs) 
Thanks, guys. And thank you to everyone listening from home. This has been another episode of Three Wise DMs. We This this episode was was answering a reader question, and we would love to answer your questions. So if you're listening along and you have any any topics you'd like to hear us cover, please send them into our email address, threewisedms at gmail.com, or go to our website and enter it in the What's Your Problem field, which is what this, uh, what this listener did. Or you can talk to us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're very active on all those channels. If you're liking what you're hearing, please give us a five-star rating or five-star rating in your podcast platform platform leave us a review tell your friends we've been growing really fast and we appreciate that because that is all you guys sharing us so thank you very much for all the for all the support all the love you've shown the show that's it for this week we'll see you next week on three wise dms